What's up, everybody? This is Eve with the Healthy Charleston Podcast. For those of you who don't know, I'm a physical therapist, and this podcast is dedicated to giving you the right health and fitness information that is both practical, actionable, and evidence-based. This is season two of the podcast, and we are so excited. We're going to have a little less interviewing. We're going to do some more topic-based discussions with myself and some of the Made to Move physical therapy and performance team. Maybe have some guest hosts out there. We are so excited for season two. Thank you so much for joining us and supporting us. If you have any questions for me or the crew, just search Healthy Charleston on Instagram or you can reach out to us directly at made to move pt.com that is the number two thanks so much see you soon today we're just talking about muscle growth yep simple nice easy topic uh maybe not simple oh, yeah not, not easy, easy but, uh, <laughs> very straightforward uh topic only yep. one topic today muscle growth so mm-hmm. nate lead us off where are we where are we at all right let's um i kind of want to start with like why muscles right like why do we if you're not if you're not a bodybuilder not a power lifter yeah. why do we want muscles so the beach bod bro want, well yeah obviously you want to everyone look good naked right that's that's number one mm-hmm. um so for athletic performance and basically every endeavor i can think of um having increased tissue capacity is going to be useful right so we if you're a dancer, if you're a runner, if you're a marathon runner, um, any of that, if you, if your body is more resilient and it's able to deal with more force, you're not as likely to get injured. You're going to be able to tolerate more actual training without hurting yourself. Um, and generally it's going to improve performance with, with almost everything. Um, and the things that we do to make muscles bigger also increase tendon strength, ligament strength, bone strength. Um, so like we're, we're aiming at making muscles bigger, um, but everything else also gets stronger. So that's reason one for why muscles is generally a healthy thing to have. Um, look at all-cause mortality, one of the biggest factors of people dying is having grip strength as a corollary for full body strength. So if you're really weak, that probably means your body's not real strong and... Um, that in turn means that you're more likely to die early. So right. more falls, yeah, more falls, more falls, you get more fractures, all that yeah. kind of stuff. If, you, if you're super more. jacked and you do fall, you'll probably just bounce off the ground and be yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 it doesn't matter. I fall every day. I have a wish now. So you guys fall every day constantly. Um, so uh, reason number two is muscles are play a big uh, role in strength training. So in in producing force and so. Basically, there's two two main things that we can train that results in improvements in strength. One of those is muscle size. So the bigger the muscle is, the more force the muscle can produce. And the other half of that is how your brain and your nervous system learn to use those muscles. So um, muscle growth by itself doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get better at a specific movement. But if you have a bigger muscle and you practice that movement, you're going to be able to perform better in that movement. So take a bench press for an example, right? So if you do a bazillion push-ups every single day and your chest is huge, um, doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be like a really, really good bench presser, but it does mean that if you do start bench pressing and you learn that skill of bench press, you're probably going to bench press more than you would have if your muscles were smaller, right? If you hadn't done all those push-ups beforehand. So muscles are just generally, they carry over really well to multiple activities. It's just basically having that baseline physiological capacity to do other things, and then you learn the skills 
on top of that. Um, so muscles in general is good for strength. So last thing I kind of want to hand it to me. No, it's not even like uh, skills with no muscle equals. Still got muscle. <laughs> no, skill with no muscle. Uh, skill with no muscle is there's going to be a hard plateau, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's billiards would be sports like that. Yeah. 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 Well, even um, if you think of like, like uh, if you periodize training, like a lot of classical periodization models have like a hypertrophy block and they have a strength block, and then they have a peaking block, and it's kind of that, that same kind of theory of like if I can build muscle in that earlier phase of training, then when I go to more skill specific with strength and peaking block, I can maximize the my potential by I've gone through that that first block. Whether that's the case. Maybe or maybe not, but that whole that's kind of the same right. theory of like right. if I can build a, a solid foundational base, a lot of muscle, you're going to have a much a harder, a larger percentage chance of, of being very successful with with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting bigger first, then getting stronger, and then getting uh, faster or you know more powerful. Yeah, yeah. Or all three at once. But so. Um, last, last kind of thing I want to address, a big part of our audience is functional fitness slash CrossFit uh, people, um, or just people going to the gym, gym rack kind of people. So if you maintain muscle size, and this touches on what we just talked about, if you maintain muscle size or incre increase muscle size when you can't get to the gym, when you're able to get back into the gym, you're going to have a much easier time getting back in. Um, so like if you can't practice snatching, you're probably going to get worse to snatching. Right? If, you, if you can't practice snatching for two, three months, you're going to lose some of that skill, but if all the muscles involved in the snatching get bigger, when you go back, you'll relearn that skill quickly because skill acquisition, if you've already learned it once, comes back pretty quickly, and then you're not going to be limited by waiting for those muscles to get big again. And so you'll you'll be able to return much more easily to your prior activities as long as you maintain muscle size, um, as well as cardiovascular fitness, which we might touch on at some point, but nobody cares about cardio. <laughs> it's all like yeah, yeah, yeah. all I want. Um, it's all anybody should want, really. Um, so that's, that's probably. Yeah, no, I, I think it's important to lay that foundation out there because, I mean, obviously we, we're going to get into what is muscle growth and how it happens. And then, you know, I think most importantly about this one, we want to talk about muscle growth with and without equipment. I mean, focusing more on without the equipment. So what can we do uh, with limited resources in order to continue to work towards that muscle growth um, yeah. aspect? So I guess, yeah, what, um, so yeah, let's, Let's talk about, like, about what makes muscles grow. What makes muscles yeah. grow? What uh, steroids? Or oh, wait, no, that's not true. <laughs> yeah. I was sad. That was growth hormone release. Yeah. yeah, you can type in my, like, how muscles are built. I think there's, like, in the ASAP, like, uh, you know those, like, little drawing things on the board where they, like, do the whiteboard yeah. stuff, and it talks all about my stat and my stat and this and, like, I mean, that's, that's part it's of it, but yeah. it's not yeah. like the main yeah. reason yeah. Yeah. it has that, like, big bulb that's just, like, massive. The Belgian blue, so all those who don't know what a Belgian blue is, Google it. Or uh, Google, yeah. Google muscular with it. There's some dogs <laughs> that are just... Oh, yeah. Oh, like bulldogs. Yeah. Right. yeah. 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 And what we use yeah. myostatin down regulation, right? Like, uh, yeah. myostatin yeah. Yeah. Well, limiter. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, basically what we're looking for, and if you are into physiology, you can probably fast forward about 20 minutes from this point. Um, 20 minutes. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm going to black out talking about this. Yeah. Um, so what we're looking for is a uh, starting thing that makes kicks off a bunch of responses to make muscles bigger, right? So like molecular mechanisms that make the muscles grow. And so if you really boil it down um, without getting too much into the physiology of 
basically what muscles are, is that we have two main things it looks like right now with one thing that is better elucidated in the literature that that can kick off that muscle growth response. Can you the big word? I'm sorry. Blacking out. Elucidated. Google that one. So, yeah, the two main things right now that we have are mechanical tension and metabolic stress. So let's talk about mechanical tension first. Um, the way uh, muscles are uh, structurally made, basically, they when they transmit force, they transmit force lengthwise. So I contract my bicep, it shortens my bicep, my elbow goes like that. Muscles can also transmit force laterally when, when force is produced. So like sideways a little bit, often to um, parts, parts of your physiology that are uh, called the interstitial space or like outside of the actual muscle cell itself. And so what we found um, and what kind of looks like what might be happening there is there are proteins called focal adhesion kinases, and this is where everyone's going to fall asleep, um, where when you transmit force laterally to the muscle, it um, puts tension on these uh, focal adhesion kinases, and it looks like that kicks off a series of signals that activate something um, called the mTOR pathway that leads to the muscle eventually getting bigger, and that's, that's a really, really simplified version of it. And, to the point of almost not being correct. But basically, when you put tension on a muscle, it kicks off things that make the muscle bigger. And so we have a lot of studies going back a really long time um, looking at like animal models of muscle growth. And so if you put a cast on a bird wing in an end range stretch, the bird wing, the muscles in that bird wing actually get bigger because it's just being stretched. And you could, I think there's some arguments to be made that when you stretch a muscle, you're also creating ischemia, and ischemia creates, which is decreased blood flow, and decreased blood flow creates more metabolic stress, so maybe there's something there too. Um, but it does look like for the most part, and not always in the literature, but for the most part, when we work a muscle through a full range of motion, um, that muscles get bigger faster than if you do a partial range of motion. And in particular, when you work a muscle through the end range stretch range of motion, that by itself is enough to get most of the benefits of muscle growth. So what basically when you're, when you're putting that maximum mechanical tension on the muscle, so you're lifting something relatively heavy and you're doing it at an end range of motion, that's gonna create a lot of mechanical tension and that's gonna stimulate a series, a series of signals that leads to that muscle growing over time. Um, this, good. I was just going to say, so part of that is, uh, I mean, we, we talked a little bit, but I think one of the last main points there is working through a full range of motion is important. Bro reps maybe well, have a place, but they, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so that being, yeah, so that being said, there is actually, a, there are a few Japanese studies, um, looking at this constant tension technique idea. So they did, uh, I think the one was they did tricep extensions and they had one group do like full range of motion tricep extensions like this. And the second group was limited to 90 degrees, so they just did tricep extensions like this, but they never stopped. So they had to keep going and not pause in between the reps. I know. And that's, 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 that's the rave rep. Yeah, the rave rep. <laughs> um, and the constant, sure. yeah, the constant tension group actually got uh, more muscle growth than the other group did. Um, so that, to me, says a little bit more metabolic stress versus mechanical tension. Now, there is, I mean, it's... You could really dig into it and like kind of question like what does mechanical tension mean? Like how do muscles transmit force mechanically? What are the physics of like the molecular, all that kind of stuff? Um, and I honestly just don't know, and I don't know that there's too many people that really get handle on it. But we can still say like mechanical tension is important, and metabolic stress is also important, right? So. Um, the problem with doing uh, light weights is that you're theoretically getting less mechanical tension on these muscle fibers. And so for a long time, and we're going to dive into the history, uh, a little bit of like what people thought made muscles grow here for a second, if that's okay. Um, 
So if you look at any textbook from like the 1980s to the early 2000s, they're going to say one to five reps for strength training, eight to 15 reps for muscle growth hypertrophy, and 15 to 20 reps for local muscular endurance. Um, and that's kind of what the ACSM says that. If, if you go into any gym and ask any bro, like what, what rep range makes muscles grow the best, they're going to say eight to 12 reps. If yeah. you're looking to lift something, if you're looking to get stronger, one to five reps. Um, the issue is that the muscles don't know necessarily um, how heavy you're lifting. All they know is that they're fatiguing out. So you're getting this mechanical tension. You're going to build up a metabolic byproduct when the muscle contracts. Um, and if you contract, if you're lifting something at least heavy enough to create local fatigue, which it turns out can be a really, really low percentage of your one rep max, like a very small weight, um, then you're actually going to maximally stimulate muscle growth on a per set basis. And so what that means is if I, if I lift say a 10 pound dumbbell and I do dumbbell curls with it and I get 60 reps and then I can't get 61 or if I decide to do curls with a 50 pound dumbbell and I get six reps and I can't do seven reps yeah I should have said 100. two reps two, two reps that's 50. Um, yeah if I do those my muscle actually grows the same regardless of that weight if I hit that local fatigue there is a limit to this so it looks like anything below about 30 percent of your one rep max is not as efficient at building muscle but it still builds some muscle and if you do more sets of that, then you actually get still get the same muscle growth. But nobody wants to do like seven reps over and over again. Yeah, that's, that's, that's just not cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it works. It works. Yeah. So that basically what that means is that the rep range you use, so long as it's like a reasonable number between probably like three to sixty reps, so long as you get close to that fatigue point. Um, builds muscle the same. It doesn't matter what you do for actual muscle growth. It does matter for strength. So if you lift something heavy, we talked about that skill component of um, strength earlier. So part of it is muscle size, part of it is how your brain uses your muscles. If you practice lifting heavy things, your brain gets better at lifting heavy things. If you practice lifting light things, your brain gets better at lifting light things. Um, and so the strength, when you lift something heavy, you do get more of a like purely one rep max strength improves more than if you were lifting light, but the muscle size improves the same. And those, those differences in strength seem to be pretty much just the nervous system. Like we don't get different muscle fiber types growing with lower high reps. Like the muscles just grow the same generally, um, except for in some instances with uh, blood flow restriction training. It might yeah. like, let's, yeah. go, let's go in a little bit more like say going close to failure fatigue. Yep. Like there's a lot of research right now that kind of uh, it's, it's supports one way or the other. If you yep. can be close to fatigue, while others say you could be five reps plus shy of fatigue yep. and still get get a, a large enough stimulus for you to, to, to yeah to, to, to I think we're, we're still kind of uh we're investing that i think for the most part right now I'd, i would say the safe bet is getting close to fatigue or all the way to fatigue it's kind of a way to idiot proof a set um that works well for simple movements and isolation movements if yeah. if you've ever done a set of deadlifts to actual fatigue it's rough awesome. or like squats yeah. so in that case you probably want to stay a few reps short of failure and it turns out if you practice like this idea of like I'm gonna stay two reps away from failure. You practice it a little bit. Most people are actually pretty good at figuring out, like, hey, I'm, yeah. I'm that close to it. So it's it's actually a fairly good way um, of doing it. And it doesn't look like going to failure actually is a benefit over staying a few reps shy of failure. It looks like they pretty much create the same muscle growth, yeah. but it's less terrible to do. Um, but the caveat to that is that if you don't know where failure is and you stop, like, if you're doing a high rep set of 30 30 reps, like push-ups and you stop at 20 when you could have done 30, you are going to have decreased muscle growth stimulus in that set. You're probably going to stimulate some muscle growth. Um, and there's actually a kind of interesting study, and I don't remember who the authors were or anything that just came out pretty recently. And um, 
they had one group doing more sets, but very far away from failure. And they actually experienced similar muscle growth to a set, a group that did like closer to failure with less sets. And I'm betting this because they, they just did more sets. And so if you think of volume, yeah, if you think of each set as a stimulus for, as an individual stimulus for muscle growth, if you do more of those small stimuli, stimuli they're going to add up to less of the big stimuli. Yeah. So it's going to end up the same regardless. Um, yeah, I think, you know, one aspect, you know, I'm a big proponent of tracking, you know, what my workouts are. And I think this is one area where it becomes beneficial because uh, I need, like, obviously day to day, you're going to, you're, you're going to vary, but in general, if I'm working to fatigue or, or that, that two to three reps shy of, of failure um, today, when I come back two weeks from now or three weeks from now and I'm repeating these exercises, I should also be trying to progress that, right? If I was hitting eight reps today at that fatigue point, I want to try to push into getting nine or 10 in subsequent versions of that same exact list. It may not happen the next week. It may not even happen the week after, but I still want to try to mm-hmm. constantly push that envelope forward, which means I need to have some type of reference to remind me what I did two, three weeks ago to, to see how close I came. Yeah, I'm a big fan of, of tracking like reps reserve or RPE. They, they can kind of be used very similarly, but like if I'm, if I'm going to train for a given four to six weeks, I generally keep my exercises the same so I can see that progression week to week. And what I'll do is like week one, I'll leave about three to four reps in the tank. And then week two, I'll do two to three reps in the tank, one to two, go close to failure, and then I'll deload and kind of change up the exercise again. That's just the way I, I enjoy training because it allows me to see constant progress either with the number of repetitions I can do or I can just load the bar and still do the same number of repetitions that I was doing. But since I'm loading the bar, maybe I can only do uh, I'll be one, one rep shy of, of failure just by loading more in the bar. Right. I do want to throw out there too that it probably, it might matter a little bit for muscle growth with variety, but if we're talking, so if we're talking strength, right, that's, that's showing like an improvement in performance and that's showing an improvement in strength. And there's a likely chance if you're good at that movement that that does correlate with some muscle growth, right? So that's not a bad way to track actual muscle size increases. Um, but if you think about versus, if you think about the idea of like progressive overload is a result of the stimulus that you're creating rather than the, the actual stimulus, right? That's progressive overload. Yeah. yeah. So that's a theory. Yeah. Progressive, uh, I, I would say progressive, progressive overload happens as a result of improvements in muscle size and skill to create improved performance. And then you're able to progressively overload versus like trying to force that progressive overload, actually creating the the stimulus for muscle growth is, I don't know if that makes sense. Um, yeah, no, it makes sense. It's yeah. like you did, you did the work and now you're able yeah. to do more weight because the work has already been done. My body's yeah. recovered. So now progressive overload has happened because my body's already made this adaptation to yeah. the training I've done previously. Yeah, but if you don't progressively overload and you don't continue to push the envelope, then that next stimulus, if you don't actually push yeah. it, is not going to be as effective for muscle growth. Eventually you plateau. So you can't just do five reps of like 135 pound squats forever because eventually that's not going to be enough of the stimulus to actually create muscle growth. Yeah, or just yeah. super bench press. You know, you see the guys who yeah, yeah. suck at 185, and like, oh, man, do 185 every time, and you haven't uh, progressed. It's like, well, yeah. raise up your reps and sets. Right. Mm-hmm. Increase load or increase reps. Yeah. Okay, those are good. Or sets. Or, yeah. or sets. I think um, we can talk about a whole other issue yeah. on progression. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. yeah, I didn't want to throw out there. So you, can, you don't have to stick with, like, most of the time if you're, like, tracking strength, like, Stick with similar exercises, right? Like that's a good idea. That'll help you get an idea. And it is helpful for knowing, hopefully it correlates well with like actual muscle growth and tissue capacity. You could theoretically do like different quad exercise 
every week. And if you stimulate the quads correctly, if you do like squats one week and lunges another week and sissy squats another week and um, step ups another week and you're going close to that fatigue point, you're doing enough sets and sets to get there, you're going to stimulate quad growth regardless. And you probably won't see as much of an increase on the bar weight each time because you're not practicing those skills as frequently. So the, the skill part of the strength is not going to be there, but the muscle growth should still be good. And there, there are, um, there is one study looking at uh, groups that did, <clears throat> um, that basically they had four different groups, but what it boils down to is two of the groups did a variety of exercises and two of the groups only did one exercise, but for that same number of sets. And the group that did the variety had more uniform quad growth. So they had, there's four different muscles in your quadriceps and they had more uniform growth across all four versus the, the two groups that only did the, the single exercises only had, like they had more muscle growth in one, one of the muscles versus the other kind of thing. Um, so some variety, and that doesn't have to be week to week, that could be daily or doing a little bit of variety, but some variety might be helpful for more uniform growth, or if you don't care about that, that's also okay. Was the total, was the total circumference difference any different? No, total circumference difference was the same, which was kind of interesting. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah, so total muscle growth was the same, it's just... So it's like, why would you just have a variety of exercises in that training, mm -hmm. like do two to three sets instead of yeah. like five to six sets exactly. the same exercise? Right. Yeah, and that's something else I wanted to talk about a little bit. So when we're tracking, um, the the amount of stimulus we're putting into our muscles and the amount of like fatiguing stuff we're doing it seems like one of the better ways to do that is looking at number of hard sets so there's a lot of different ways of looking at actual volume of training um you can do like the weight you're doing uh the amount of weight times the sets times the reps which is called volume load i don't think <laughs> well, it's really useful so i mean what do you, do you, when so do you start counting do you start counting <laughs> yeah. the warm-up sets too it's yeah like yeah, and it's all like a jog, a, a like two mile jog has more volume move than any strength training session could ever have. So I don't think it's that useful of a uh, a tool to track track gains basically. Um, so number of hard sets, and it doesn't really matter the reps you're doing, so long as those number of hard sets are getting close to that fatigue point, is might be the best way to actually track basically how much stimulus you're doing. And even uh, digging into it a little bit further, number of hard sets per week might be the best way to look at that. So you can do. Um, 15 sets of chest on Monday, or you can do three sets of chest Monday through Friday, five days a week. And it turns out the muscle growth is pretty similar or maybe even a slight advantage on the higher frequency version of that. Um, and so if it, as long as you're doing that, that same number of hard sets per week, there's not that much difference in muscle growth. Um, but it does have like, I prefer to just do like two to three hard sets of an exercise. If I'm doing like 10 sets of an exercise, I'm done with it. Like three, four sets in, I don't want to do it anymore. But if I just do like two to three sets, yeah. fairly frequently, by the time I start getting sick of it, I'm done with it, I'm moving on to something else. Um, and you can kind of do these full body workouts and get everything all at once, get a sick pump, you look good in the mirror um, every single day, and then you don't really get sick of what you're doing quite as much. So psychologically, it works better for me. Psychologically, it might not work that, that much better for other people. Yeah. And the research is kind of ambiguous at this point, but there might be a slight benefit to splitting up volume throughout the week. Some studies show there is, some studies show there is yeah. not. But there really hasn't been a downside um, so far that anybody's yeah. come up with. I like personally having, I don't like that. I, got, I tried the high frequency approach where yeah. you, you squat, bench, press, hold, do something of like three to four sets every single day and then just continue on the train. But for me, it's like, I like having a massive pump while I left yeah. the gym. So like, <laughs> I like yeah. doing 10 yeah. to 12 sets per movement pattern and just feeling like my shirt's going to rip off. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I find it very interesting that I think that's a good way. You almost can maybe even do a little personality check. And yeah. I think Nate and I are maybe a little bit more similar in that, like, our attention to 
to, to, to I don't know, attention deficit maybe yeah. is the right word. Like, yeah. like I only want to do three to four sets maximum, more likely two to three sets just because I do get bored or I'm, I'm, I get so fatigued that by the end of the third set, but I just want to do another exercise because mentally I can't handle it. Where Matt, I think you do a great job of focusing and really like, you know, going all in on, on something and which allows you maybe to do just a little bit more volume yeah. on a single body part than, than I would be capable in a single yeah. session. That's, then, that's very like methodical. I suffer a little bit from uh, real cuss. Yeah. I suffer a little bit from what I, what I'd like to call fuck around. I did. Um, <laughs> I just kind of do whatever I want to do all the time. Basically, make it up, make it up as I go along. Sometimes, uh, more recently, I've been following a, a pretty decent program. I think. You know, maybe one yeah. applicable question um, that you can answer, Nate, for me is like, you know, last night as an example, I had to do single leg step ups. Um, Your volume yesterday was a lot. I was using a 45 pound dumbbell, and uh, which is relatively light, right? But by the end of the second set, so I did two sets to 12. By the end of the second set, I don't think on either one of them, my muscles were at the fatiguing point, right? I probably could have gone another 10, 20 reps maybe even, but my lungs and just the overall feeling of my body was like, you got to quit, like go, go do something else. Like when I'm looking to reach fatigue, obviously I know if I'm yeah. bench pressing, I'm going to probably get two to three reps within that, like I'm going to fail. Yeah. But when I'm doing something like a single leg lunge or a step up or like, like a deadlift or a squat, same thing. Yeah. Like, when like, is that the more, team? Right? Yeah, so this is where I'm going to be. I just like, like my research typically, like I studied, I would not have it. They're going to do like leg press, they're going to do more isolated things. So like, I think there's like, a good yeah. gap there. Yeah, and I think that's when you when you start bringing it down, like it's it's possible that like isolation exercises are a little more effective per muscle group for sure. actual muscle growth, right? So like a squat may not be as effective for growing your quad strength as just a set of uh, knee extensions kind of thing, right? Um, because you can get, it's a simpler exercise. There's the only thing that's going to fatigue out is your quads. You can push, and if it form, there's no form to fall apart, so you can just kind of roll into it, go nuts on it, like straight at the top of your lungs. If a squat form falls apart, if your quads start to give out um, just a little bit, you transfer the load to your hips and your back and your upper back, and then if your upper back's not strong enough to keep going, that's it. And so your quads might be a decent amount away from failure by the time you get there. But that might be okay because you don't have to go all the way to failure. But if you're like, if you did 12 and you could have done 10 more, that may not have been like the most effective possible muscle building movement. Muscle movement. Um, right. yeah. yeah, yeah, still probably effective for strength. For and training, just like, yeah. yeah. Getting active burn um, calories, strength, yeah. ability, whatever. And so what I kind of like to do when I'm doing things on my own is I'll do sets of squats because I want to get better at squatting. Um, but I don't use squat as like my muscle growth stimulus necessarily. It's going to stimulate some. I'll do some heavy sets of squats, and then I will do like like knee extensions and like hamstring curls um, and calf raises and all that kind of thing, like separately to actually get yeah, the isolation. Of, like, that's a really yeah. good idea too, of like a, a, of being a little bit more, I guess you say, cautious of those like of those bigger movement patterns mm -hmm. and staying farther away from fatigue and like using percentages and stuff like that. But then when you're doing your accessory work or your bro work, you know, bro work, yeah. Yeah. you can go to fatigue, and that's not going to essentially accumulate as much fatigue. Systemically, essentially, what I mean by that is like, if I were to go to fatigue and doing back squats and do two, even two or three sets, maybe one set of like going to fatigue yeah. to back squats, I'm not going to do anything the rest of the yeah, day. But right. like, if yeah. I did that with leg extensions, okay, cool, I could probably do a go to fatigue again in two or three minutes, right? Yeah. 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 No, no, yeah. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah so. <laughs> 
Um, and this kind of carries over. So if we're talking about like, hey, I can't get to the gym and I need to continue building muscle and I have no equipment at home, no weights or just very light weights. Maybe I just want more days than my side. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like I don't want to go to the gym every day. I just yeah. want to get more. You can, time, you, know? you can do body weight movements and still get the same muscle growth theoretically, right? So if you can do 100 push-ups, maybe not the most effective exercise for building muscle in your chest. It's probably a bit too low on the load scale. Um, and it's going to be more of a cardiovascular adaptation probably. Yeah. But what you could do is do like plyometric push-ups, do like some high-velocity movements, so fatigue's out a little bit sooner and then transition right into normal push-ups um, and stuff like that. And so when we're talking about complexity of movements in regards to body weight movements, there are, there are some really cool body weight movements out there, right? So if you know what, uh, like shrimp squats or... Let's uh, go with our Instagram. Yeah, yeah. Girls, yeah. You can yeah. get bed sheets. Yeah, there, there's some like <laughs> fairly complex body weight movements. If you don't have a very high skill with those body weight movements and you struggle more on the skill end versus the like my muscles are fatiguing end, that may not be the most effective movement to actually build muscle for right. you. So like, again, coming back to like the shrimp squat thing, like a lot of people struggle with the balance on that. Um, or we can talk about like handstand push-ups, like freestanding handstand push-ups. Um, there are very few people that can do those. There are probably even fewer people that can do those without it becoming a balance exercise. Sure. If you're good enough at them or you can go until you like your shoulders can't press anymore, that's going to be an effective movement to build muscle. If you can do like three reps, and your shoulders aren't that tired, but you just lose your balance or like your core fatigues out or something, it's not going to be the best exercise to actually build muscle growth. So when we're looking at pure muscle growth, sometimes a simpler movement is better, but the simpler movements, you might be able to do way too many reps of them. So adding in some sort of harder plyometric variation in front of it and then continuing with it might be a good way to, to get to that fatigue point and not hit 100 reps, do like 40 reps and now you're tired um, kind of thing. And what, what we've seen with uh, velocity in regards to actual muscle growth is like slower velocities may decrease muscle growth, but if you're doing like normal, like just normal lifting, like controlled lifting, or you do very fast lifting, probably doesn't matter all that much. And then there's some studies that show like the faster lifting might actually be a little bit more beneficial. So quads probably doesn't matter. Biceps, it might matter if you like do curls very fast, it might be a little bit better than doing slow curls. Um, you tell me that tempo doesn't lead to more gains? I cannot. <laughs> <laughs> tempo is okay if, you're, if you have pain. Tempo is a rehab yeah. application. I like, yeah, yeah, I like tempo for working on form. Like yeah. I'm just yeah. feeling I need to understand the position. I'm trying to get into a better position. It's a new movement. You know, I'm just using it as a way to teach myself or teach others. Yeah. But, uh, I don't necessarily subscribe to uh, yeah. doing tempo to, to, to yeah. limit no, velocity. Yeah. Essentially, like you can't lift as much weight with tempo. Like if I have a tempo yeah. back squat, that's going to limit me at least 10 to 15 to 20 percent of what I could do with with, with normal mm -hmm. weight because we're limited in our concentric strength, the ability to come up, not in our ability to go down. Yeah. We can do eccentric strength like 120 percent of like what our normal one rep max is. Mm -hmm. And so tempo really came into uh, uh, popular like use, um, at least as far as I know, when this this idea of time under tension became popular. So again, like like 2005 to probably 2015, people, all every personal trainer was like, time under tension, bro. That's what, cre what creates muscle growth. Time under tension may be a useful measure of volume and muscle growth if it's at if you could do studies that look at single percentages of your one rep max with single time under tension. Um, like if you do 60% of your one rep max and you are specifically at this time under tension for that, that might be a useful way to measure it, but that would have to be very, very specific over and over and over. A lot of studies done for that. And it's not better than just looking at number of hard reps. So time under tension by itself is not what creates muscle growth. It's not a good way to track muscle growth. It may decrease muscle growth if you're doing a slow weight because you're decreasing that mechanical tension um, 
through the muscles, and it just makes yeah. me unhappy. I don't like the time under tension concept. Well, especially if we know that yeah. we can achieve similar hypertrophy doing sets of three to five reps mm -hmm. as sets of 20 to 25 reps. Like those sets of 20 to 25 reps clearly have more time under tension, yet they're, they're not proven mm -hmm. to be more beneficial than doing anywhere from three to eight reps. Yeah. So it kind of, yeah. like that kind and of like, the, other, the, the one thing that time under tension might be useful for is it is a skill, right? So if you need yeah. to learn the skill of holding a single position or doing something very, very slow, then like practicing that, that tempo work in order to apply it to something that you actually need to learn is, is a skill component of it, and that'll be useful. But you should still probably do other stuff to actually make the muscles bigger after you practice that skill uh, yeah. because it's not going to be the most effective way to create muscle growth. So we kind of glossed over just like, you know, more of that at home. I mean, we didn't gloss over. You, you went into depth in terms of making exercise difficult, but just in general, if I'm at home and I don't have a lot of equipment or zero equipment, let's even say, um, can I grow muscle? Absolutely. Okay. And what do I need to do in order to do that? Like, how do I effectively grow muscle at home? So you need to do um, pick movements where you can do hard sets close to fatigue um, right. that are probably going to be less than 60 to 70 reps to fit. So if we were using your push-up example, there might be three different ranges, right? You might have somebody that can only do 10 push-ups. Mm -hmm. In general, that's all they, they can do. That's a max set. So that, would be, that would be a perfect exercise for them. If they're a beginner lifter, which if, you, if you're doing only 10 push-ups, that might be kind of where you want to put yourself on this continuum. Then you're looking at number of hard sets of push-ups per week, number of hard sets of chest exercises per week. You're probably going to want to start around like 10 or less sets total per week of your chest. That might be doing two sets of push-ups close to failure, like a rep or two short of failure every single day. Or you could just knock out like five reps on Monday, five reps on Friday, um, or you could do all 10 sets on Monday. Um, yeah, It's going to get pretty rough if you do all 10 sets yeah. on Monday. And the same if you don't have a push-up, let's say you don't have a push-up mm -hmm. at all, or you still want to get stronger and build muscle, yeah. you might move to like an elevated yeah, push-up. Yeah, like an incline push-up, push-ups on your knees. Something, if, you, if you can do, if you hit failure before you hit like 60 to 70 reps, it's going to be an effective way to build muscle. That being said, so when we're talking about these rep ranges, there is research, and if you've ever done a really high rep set to failure, it sucks. Like, if I'm doing more than 20 reps to failure, I'm probably quitting. Um, yeah. And you, the getting too fatigued yeah. at high rep sets creates significantly more discomfort than lower rep sets. Um, so you can do it. It takes a lot psychologically to want to be motivated enough to do that, especially in multiple sets. And so the most effective way is probably picking options that you can only do like 15 or less reps. Mm -hmm. um, picking a hard enough movement where you're, where you're hitting that. But like, yeah, if you want to do air squats to failure, <laughs> I mean, go for it. If so you can, like, you'll throw up before you get to yeah, failure. Yeah, if you oh, don't want to failure. So if we're doing push-ups and I don't have a push-up, then I'm going mm -hmm. elevated. If I do have like five or, or 10 push-ups, mm -hmm. I'm going to do to that level multiple times in a week. Yep. If I'm doing 25 or more push-ups in a single set, then I probably need to look for a way to make that harder, whether yeah. that's the plyo push-up or feet elevated on, on the couch or whatever, to try to make that stimulus more demanding. Unless you really like high reps. Unless yeah. you want to just go until you do it. Yeah. So same with squats or you yeah. know, any other home body weight exercise. Um, you know, you can basically, the world is your oyster in that regard. Just scale to a way that creates uh, the desire to want to quit by, you know, 10 to 20 reps and um, should be yeah. to go. Yeah, and that desire to want to quit is going to be a lot higher with higher rep sets, and it may bring you further away from failure to the point where it's not quite as effective for building muscle. You're still going to build some muscle. Um,
Like it doesn't become a completely useless set, but yeah. Now at home, like let's say for me, I can do a single leg squat, but I might only be able to do like like three of them, right? Is that better to do that limited amount, like you know, three to five reps, or should I do something that allows me to get to closer to that ten? I would three to five should be fine. If I can only do one of them, that's probably a bit of an issue. Or if you're limited by like balance or something, that's probably an issue. Um, but three to five should build muscle just as well than multiple sets. Um, if you can do like one set of five, one set of three, and then you can only do singles, you might want to do the set of five, do the set of three, and then do air squats or something. Right. So find something easier and kind of burn yeah. it out. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Mm -hmm. Got it. No, that's good. And then I have a, I've had a lot of people ask me questions about what it was strength during this time, like if I, if I only have access to doing bodyweight mm -hmm. stuff. And we talked about earlier that strength is a skill. So yes, you probably will lose strength. But if you can maintain or build muscle during a time you don't have equipment, when you get back to it, you'll be ready and more primed to, again, pick up that skill faster and then use that muscle that you just built. Yeah. yeah. If you added muscle and you picked the skill back up, they'll probably be our, like, right? Absolutely. So that's oh, great. Awesome. Well, uh, you know, to that point, uh, also, you know, Nate created, uh, kind of threw up his brain onto a page, created a blog that kind of outlines a little bit of this, got some research articles in there. He also built uh, a sweet Excel template um, that you can go in and, you know, use drop-down menus, selecting exercises, got exercise examples, all with no body weight, or body weight only, no equipment. I think the only equipment that may be suggested is like a bed sheet and then maybe I would say two bed sheets would probably be yeah, awesome. Two bed sheets and some furniture sliders and uh, yeah. you know but and then if you, all if you, you want to do if you want to be pull up bars like a cheap pull up bar would be. Yeah. Right, right. But, but uh, there are options the bed, if you don't have a pull up. The bed sheets pretty much are you're making a T Rex at home. Yeah. Right. Like, right. Mm -hmm. And we'll link to that, you know, in the uh, in the show notes, and then also uh, you know, we'll make sure that that's available on the on the Make Move website. But uh, I guess the last piece is, um, you know, look for sometime here in the near future uh, for a Q&A to be going live uh, with Nate uh, discussing more in depth about that particular program. And if you don't catch the live one, there'll be recorded options for that. What's up, everybody? This is Eve with the Healthy Charleston podcast. We hope you enjoy today's very special episode with the Made to Move team. If you want to hear more or get actually a completely free download that Dr. Nate Jones himself built out. Go check it out on our website, www.madetomove, that's the number two, madetomovept.com slash bodyweight. Thanks so much.